0: How can you not be romantic about baseball? Yeah, I don't know,
1: man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards the, like, some greater
0: purpose. with bloated We are the only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie
2: Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. By the way, I was at the game last night. All two of them yeah. got it so bad.
3: He <laughs> deserves we, it. He deserves
2: yeah. it. He deserves yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> He struck out in like the third inning, and like you know when they strike out sometimes, and they don't go back to the dugout and they just wait for their teammate to give them like a glove. Oh
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: That, that's he struck rough. out. That's and a the, rough feeling. Oh my god, he the walk back to second base was this was the saddest walk I've ever seen. Yo, everyone is shitting ass. So yo, there's like there's only like five thousand people at the stadium. We're like asshole. Yo, it's like 50, Imagine when Yankee Stadium gets full. It's gonna be insane. <laughs> oh my god. Hey, did you ever go to the old Yankee Stadium? Yeah, I was I was I, so I'm twenty five, so Yeah. I was I, I was like twelve when it when 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 they closed it. But I remember it was like a it was like being in the Coliseum. It was like being like in a Roman yeah. Coliseum. Just like the way it was built. Damn like it, it was like round and like it was intimidating. Like the fans <laughs> were on top of you, like this ballpark is a little bit different. It looks nicer, like it looks nicer, and it is nicer, and like it's like cooler to like kind of be in. But like the fans don't have as much as of a factor within the game as they did in the old stadium. I genuinely believe that the Yankees won four out of five titles because being at Yankee Stadium was in in ni- from ninety six to two thousand one. We won four or five titles, and I genuinely think it's because it was that intimidating to be there.
3: Oh yeah, like I, as a as a young baseball head, like the state the stadiums were always like a big part of what like kind of drove me to that I, I i was the nerdiest kid i was like always only reading like the indexes of baseball books just all the stat counts and everything yeah. like mm-hmm. i had this big dodger book that was just all by position fielding and batting single title uh single season title everything like that but i had this one book of stadiums and despite how much i hated the yankees and still do the old <laughs> yankee stadium is like one of the coolest things in sports mm-hmm. uh it, yeah. it's ridiculous like it's it's so awesome
2: it doesn't look beautiful, but it is like, it literally, it's like a, it was like a jungle. It was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah.
3: And also the monuments out there too. Just like, just letting you know the history while you're playing. Like it's, <laughs> it's intimidating as fuck.
2: How we have it in center field, it doesn't look as drawing as it did in left center. You know what I mean? Like.
3: Yeah. Yeah. How
2: about how, how about how Clemens, every single, before every single start, Clemens used to, pray to, like, the Babe roof monument. Like, that shit is intimidating. <laughs> like, no yeah. cap. Yeah. <laughs> there were, like, ghosts in the old... I genuinely do believe the old stadium was full of, like, ghosts. It was, like, magically and made... We'll talk and we about it. Yeah, no, it, it, I, I genuinely do believe that the old stadium had, like... I don't... I'm not religious, but I do believe... The one religious thing I will say is that the old stadium is has like dark mythical forces in it. I do definitely do believe that. I swear to god.
3: I don't think there's a, I don't think there's any baseball fan who can deny that really. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like with pure objectivity, you know. Like you have to think of one play to you know there's one Yankee memory that just fucked you if you're not a fan of the Yankees <laughs> or that transcended you if you are that makes the case of that place was a haunted ground no doubt. It definitely was. We will talk more about the church of baseball. Uh let's get into it. Yeah. Welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 105. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill.
1: I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White.
3: And joining us all the way from Flatbush, Brooklyn, New York, New York, a music journalist, a Knicks and Yankees fan, uh, and a film head, Jason Buford. Welcome to the show.
2: Yo, great to be here, fellas. Great to be here.
3: Uh, we are so glad to have you. You know, we've done some sports movies episodes in the past. We did A golf movie episode a couple weeks back uh, with Ron Shelton, the director of Bull Durham. We did Tin Cup and Dead Solid Perfect. And then about a year ago, we did a baseball movie uh, episode of Mr. 3000 and How Do You Know, two very underlooked baseball movies from my coming of age. But Bull Durham, this I mean, we didn't even say it yet. Bull Durham is the A movie here, the 1988 film by Ron Shelton. And the second movie we're going to talk about is Moneyball, the 2011 film by Bennett Miller. Now, Bull Durham, in comparison to the other sports movies we've watched, has a place as a canon classic. You ask any, like, sports dad when I was growing up, Bull Durham was always the pick. Uh, My uncle, who showed me Bad News Bears, was like, when you're old enough.
2: Bull Durham will be your favorite. <laughs> you can't watch it yet, but when you're old enough. My two favorite <laughs> sports movies of all time are Bull Durham and He Got Game. Oh, yes. yes. My two, two good ones. ones. So
3: I, I want to throw it to you now, Jason. Why, why this pairing in particular of Bull Durham and Moneyball? What is it about these two movies that you wanted to bring to the podcast?
2: For the first thing is I wanted to talk about baseball. I remember when, Eddie, me and you were talking about like the ideas. I remember the season was just beginning, and I had, I've done a lot of um, – i've done a lot of like podcasts about you know i was on sleaze podcast and i did like spike lee um i did bamboozles and i did rudy ray moore's uh pd we straw and like that's like stuff i can do from the back of my head like you know black representation in in film or something like i know about and like i understand the feeling of of that and just like that's like something within my wheelhouse whereas like i don't know if a lot of people know about me i am a huge baseball head like I have a I have Latrell Spiro of, uh, of the Knicks on on my on my Twitter profile, so like everybody knows I'm into basketball. But like I am also like a huge baseball mm-hmm. head and like love love the idea of the game and like what it means. I don't always watch other teams, but like the idea of baseball, I like, understand. And these are two movies that have to do with the idea of baseball, not just baseball itself, not just like hitting runs and like the at bats, but idea, but what the game means mentally and what the game means culturally. And I think that. These two movies do it well, and I have some criticism of Moneyball with within it, but I think for in the grand scheme of things, bull Durham and Moneyball both do that better than any other baseball movie. Just the idea of the sport and what it means, and how it's a game of failure, and and, and how it's a game of romance, and a lot of different ideas of it. Um, and I I I, I wanted to talk about that because I love the game, and I, I I feel like it's something that's without not in my wheelhouse, and um i also think that baseball more than i think any other sport is a a criticism of capitalism as well right like you see that mm-hmm. and i think a lot of that is because it's it is i genuinely do believe it is america's national pastime and like capitalism is america's national pastime right and so like i think uh, there is no more sport that has more shady odors than it does in baseball like it, 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 and yes. it's been like that it's been like that forever too i mean Kimsky uh, the list goes on and on the McCourt. Babe
3: Ruth getting traded so an owner could fund a play you know
2: <laughs> i mean that's probably that's the most famous perfect example yeah
4: you
2: yeah. know what i mean like and and so john henry trades uh 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 mookie Betts cuz his newspaper's failing like you know what i mean like yeah. This yeah. shit is like
3: <laughs> i mean i was fine with that as a dodger fan but you know i get it
2: <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah so it, it's 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 And I think that both of these movies, Bro Durham less so than Moneyball, but I think both of these movies have a level of poverty and a level of pain within, pain financially within the culture in it. So that's why I wanted to bring both of these. uh, Absolutely. Mm Absolutely. Jt,
3: I know you are. I would say the le- not the least athletic. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I have we an can see you have a nice, build. slim yeah. I have a runner's uh, body. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, but the least involved with sports. Uh, the one who doesn't watch sports, as you're mystified by my L.A. Dodgers logo, <laughs> can't even make eye contact with <laughs> me. Uh, Now, we've talked about sports movies so much on this podcast. I feel like this one is the one to really sink your teeth into kind of coming from an ideological, political level, maybe. Uh, How'd you take to these two movies?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something where it's like, I don't know, before we talked about a few sports movies on the pod, I was like, I don't know, usually it, it wasn't something that I would like seek out independently, but I feel like sports movies usually like have like some type of sub genre within them like Bull Durham is like a great example because it has involves the romantic comedy in that and it's easy to latch on to and like what uh, Jason was saying I think that a lot of what's really compelling about like sports and especially because a lot of screenwriters and movie people are Similarly, unathletic people. And when they're approaching like making the movie, I mean, something like I would say less so with like Moneyball because that's more in the nitty gritty of it. But I think approaching it from the angle of like the passion involved and the cultural signifiers, that stuff is really meaningful. And I feel like even though the specifics of it, are, I don't want to say are lost on me, but are less appreciated, mm-hmm. I can. I don't know. It clearly has a significant place in culture, and I think it's interesting to examine that.
1: Mm. Also, it's like, I don't know, if you think of, like, if you're a fan of, like, war movies or anything like that, or even, like, any any type of movie where there's, like, a group of people and, like, that, you know, there's a camaraderie Absolutely, amongst yeah. them, you could attach to, maybe not Moneyball you know, necessarily, <laughs> but Full Durham has that, you know, kind of, like, locker room atmosphere. You yeah. Know, kind of a different things to attach to even if necessarily you know you're not a sports fan
2: i think moneyball has some of that camaraderie but from the mindset of or from a point of view of management which is re- which we'll get yeah, to yeah. later yeah which we'll get to later
3: like even in moneyball just a quick note like the camaraderie among the old guard scouts you know who, like <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. that convert that first conversation we hear of them you know you overhear guys saying like you know i like a good ball player with hair on his ass and like yeah. shit like that <laughs> it's like these guys are crazy and they they've been doing that shit together and they have their own language mm-hmm. uh, that's formed over the decades of scouting baseball players together so it's like whether it's on the field, in the front office, uh, et cetera, like there's just so much camaraderie being built at every level.
4: I believe in the church of baseball. I've
2: tried all the major religions and most of the minor ones. I've worshiped Buddha, Allah, Brahma, Vishnu, Siva, trees, mushrooms, and Isadora Duncan. I know things, for instance, There are 108 beads in a Catholic rosary, and there are 108 stitches in a baseball. When I learned that, I gave Jesus a chance. But it just didn't work out between us. The
1: Lord laid too much guilt on me. I prefer metaphysics to theology.
2: You see, there's no guilt in baseball, and it's never boring, (laughs) which makes it like sex.
3: The Durham Bulls, they're, they're the pride of a ball of minor league baseball really you know a ball is the the lowest professional uh level of baseball that's like tied to the mlb there's still like independent minor league teams and stuff like that like i saw this one independent uh team in rhode island once when i was visiting my family that lives in boston because we couldn't go to a red Sox game because they were all sold out and uh man minor league like a ball stuff is so awesome because it's just like Yeah, it's like an elevated Little League game and the passion is all there, you know, but regardless, uh, they got a goofy mascot. They have even goofier local promo and all the traditions and superstitions uh, that baseball has to offer are present here with the Durham Bulls. You have Annie. Uh, this is Susan Sarandon as Annie, who grooms a different one of these young ball players every season uh, into stardom uh, by, you know, teaching them about ball and taking them to the bedroom. And this year, uh, it looks like it's going to be Tim Robbins as Ebby Callum Lalouche. Uh, and uh, so he, that Tim is Robbins hotshot character, <laughs> uh, he he has to he has to like. Answer to the minor league veteran, Crash Davis, Kevin Costner, uh, who wants to, you know, teach him the ways of the game, shape him into a real ball player, and also uh, has his eyes on Susan Sarandon and kind of wants to take her out of that that loop of rotating between minor league ball players every year. Now that we have that all on the table, what what a movie, man. Uh, oh, yeah. it's so fun. So romantic, so funny. Uh I think it's, it's one of like, the
2: more quotable movies of all time, too. Seriously. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. don't remember a movie. I mean, obviously, like you have your canon classics that are like really, really quotable. Like, I mean, The Godfather is like amazingly quotable, but like I don't yeah. remember a movie as understated and as low key, but still has like these memorable lines. It's like it's not even mm-hmm. it's not trying it's not going for a lot of that. It just like feels just like so within part of that community and part of that culture but like the lines are i mean Mm -hmm. like everything that annie says within a monologue is something that like i can't stop thinking about
3: yeah Mm -hmm. oh no it's great from the very beginning of her talking about uh baseball as the only church that she's ever been affiliated Mm -hmm. with you know
2: the lord laid too much guilt on me but then she goes (laughs) and then i think she goes but the stitches of a rosary has like 180. And that's the same thing as the stitches of baseball. And that made me believe in God. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I love how it, it opens even uh, before that on these like uh, this montage of black and white images of kind of baseball history kind of going back and forth. Like you have Babe Ruth. That's the image of like uh, the title card when it says Bull Durham, but you have stuff as new as Fernando Valenzuela in there, you know, Uh, and it's just this really great kind of blending of history showing that these traditions have been around forever. Uh, Fernando is kind of nodded to later when uh, Tim Robbins kind of loosens up his wind up and starts, you know, uh, pitching crazy like Fernando. (laughs) And it's, it's this whole, uh, this cycle of history uh, and traditions and everything and you know Shelton he he's not trying to like make this huge critique I don't think as a filmmaker I think it's more. A love letter to that and finding uh the ways to show how beautiful it is through like these grandstanding monologues that you know when when you write them on paper even it seems totally crazy like when kevin that that (laughs) what do you believe in speech that kevin costner gives one of one of my favorite monologues ever but it's also utterly ridiculous Mm -hmm. but he he places it within this kind of utterly ridiculous world of baseball
4: After 12 years in the minor leagues, I don't try out. Besides, uh, I don't believe in quantum physics when it comes to matters of the heart. What do you believe in, then?
1: Well, I believe in the soul. The cock, the pussy, the small of a woman's back, the hanging curve ball, high fiber, good scotch, but the novels of Susan Sontag are self-indulgent, overrated crap. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf
0: and the designated hitter. I believe in the sweet spot, softcore pornography, opening your presents Christmas morning rather than Christmas Eve, and I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet
1: kisses that last three days. Good night.
3: And it all just kind of makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. No, you know Shelton. It's funny that you picked uh, Moneyball and Bull Durham because I think Sorkin wrote Moneyball, right? Well, he did yeah. rewrites. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, he's involved. He's involved. Yeah, so, it's a, so,
3: it's a
2: Sorkin co-writing credit for sure. You can tell that it's a Sorkin. Yeah, yeah you can kind of tell that it's a Sorkin movie, and with, and its politics are very Sorkin too. Yeah. I, oh, and yeah. I'm not the type of guy who really cares about like politics within someone's art necessarily, yeah. mm-hmm. but with Within Moneyball, I think it's important because the movie is inherently political, in which the topic they're talking about really is politics within baseball. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also,
3: for me, someone who usually doesn't get like crazy, you know, upset over writer, director's personal politics. Aaron Sorkin is one case where I do because he's <laughs> just uh, just a lunatic. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, well, like,
1: Sorkin, like, the pairing of Sorkin and Shelton, they're both screenwriters who like to flex their muscles. Yeah. That's for sure. And, yeah. like, especially... In very different
3: ways, well, I was too. to say, it's the poeticism yeah. versus handing over your resume. Kind <laughs> yeah, of. exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that was my point, basically. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, <I'm sorry.
1: laughs> you got it covered, it seems.
4: <laughs> well, well,
3: uh, you, wanna, uh, you wanna take the point on this no. one? <laughs> there are all these quotables from the start with Bull Durham, like and going back to Tin Cup from a few weeks ago, Shelton he wrote that incredible line for Tin Cup where it's like uh, golf and sex are the only things you know you don't have to be good at to have fun. Mm-hmm. And then in this one, it's the one about you know uh, it, baseball not having any guilt and never being boring, just like sex. Yeah, and it's these very crass comparisons between sports and sex that yeah they can feel very mm-hmm. like basic male kind of misogynist at points but you know Shelton always goes one level deeper to expose the poetry of each side of the love triangle here even the absolute bozo Tim Robbins character (laughs) the hotshot who just can't quit messing up uh there's so much beauty in just like his knowing of his gift but being very like I don't know. He, he's very self-conscious of it, too. Like, that yeah. scene where Kevin Costner is like, you know, God made your right arm into a thunderbolt. You're going to piss it away, you know. He clearly is so affected by that and is so scared of being a totally <laughs> washed-up guy in five years. But he his actions do not reflect that clearly.
1: No, yeah, I think that's kind of, like, the main conflict between, you know, Costner and Robbins in this movie. Kind of, like, the beginning of the movie, you're talking about, like, kind of the history, the rich traditions, kind of the... It, you know, the mythology of the game or whatever it's not really something that the Robbins character has internalized where it's like it's Crash Davis's whole entire life, you know, these kind of uh this baseball thinking, and so it is like I don't know it's it's that's something I could relate, you know, being passionate about something that people don't really care about, you know
4: <laughs>
2: yeah I mean <laughs> in a lot of in a lot of different ways, Crash Davis kind of represents the old garden baseball in general, right? But I think it's really yeah. interesting about this movie is for a movie that's made in the nineteen eighties, it's surprisingly very um Sarandon's character in particular, but in general I think it's surprisingly very advanced and what in how it thinks about the game, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Crash is like Crash is like, I believe that the Designated Hitter should be outlawed by Congress. And it's like all these <laughs> things that are like really outdated. I mean like you'd be surprised now. I mean nowadays like most baseball fans – I know, Eddie, I know you feel the same way. It's like, yo, I, I want the – I think the DHB should be universal. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. But guys like Crash Davis, they're like old guard. They're like, no, 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 no. That's not how you play the game. Double switches, yeah. the strategy. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, Annie – Annie's talking about, like, fucking spin rates. And, like, you got to, yeah. like <laughs> – Annie should have worked for the Astros. I mean, shit, she's talking about, like <laughs> – you know what I mean? She's no, talking- she
3: got an advanced copy of the Bill James st- shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Generally, I—that's <laughs> funny—but I generally do believe that Annie is a a progressive thinker when it comes to to the game, whereas yeah. whereas Crash is like, nah, like I call something Nuke's got a, you know what I mean? Like Nuke can't shake me off. He's got, you know what I mean? And so I think that um I think that they do a great balance of within the game having Crash be this type of like conservative type of. Um, not only in his masculinity, but also in the game of baseball, whereas Annie's kind of representative of the future of baseball and how it's going to to go. So I I think that's also very interesting. And you can only really write something like that if you love the game and understand the game. You can tell that Shelton really understands the game of baseball. And also, it's like
3: the characters are aware that it is kind of an ideology of their whole life too it's not just like how they view baseball like that those characteristics of how they view baseball define each of those characters whole like worldviews kind of (laughs) like like when coster says strikeouts are fascist you believe him kind Uh. of (laughs) you think he really thinks that
2: (laughs) annie is um talking about like spin rates and like oh the weight and the way you uh you have to put, put your hips out and it's talking about all this stuff Because generally speaking, like she's an English teacher, she's a progressive woman, like that's just how she thinks, you know what I mean? Like that type of like, you know what I mean? You can imagine her politics have to do with how she feels about baseball itself as well. So it's, 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 that's very interesting.
3: And she thinks Susan Sontag's brilliant.
2: <laughs> and hey,
3: I you know, I'm kind of in between on... No, kidding. <laughs> it, it, i always thought that was kind of weird that Kevin Costner said... And maybe that's even more of an insight into that character yeah. of how aggressive he is when he says the novels of Susan Sontag are, oh, you, know, yeah. uh, you know, indulgent, whatever. People really look to Susan Sontag as more of an intellectual thinker. And, like, uh, you know, it, it's not really, like... I don't know. I feel like that's, he's approaching it the whole wrong way. And hey, maybe maybe Shelton, maybe Shelton got a hot tip on that and is writing that into the character to show yeah. Costner really not knowing what he's talking about uh, when he's trying to show up Sarandon's intellectualism.
1: Yeah, I, I always, you know, because I think I mentioned this when we reviewed Tin Cup, but it is interesting kind of like, I think maybe Shelton might have a type, a type of woman that he likes or yes. something like that. Because it, it is like, he goes out of his way to like, you know, like the female love figure in his movies are going to be like, like outspoken, like feminist type, uh, you know, critiques kind the of Hoxian like the Hoxian Dame, the Hoxian exactly. Dame basically. And so, yeah, I guess that's kind of interesting. Like at first, maybe, I, I don't know, like, I think, is that like an eighties, like nineties culture type thing well, or whatever? I think like I yeah.
3: character is also a really interesting version of that kind of Howard Hawks type woman because yeah, definitely. it's also her straight up like heterosexuality that I don't want to say defines her character, but it's like her role within that ecosystem kind of Mm -hmm. is, you know, uh, the guy who she chooses for the year. Uh, And so despite her intellectualism and everything like that, it is challenged by that kind of very traditional role she holds. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great because that's how this whole movie is. It's like Costner. Sure. He has more knowledge than anyone about like baseball's history and the way the game is physically played uh yeah than any character in here but clearly is short-sighted in terms of the way that the game progresses and just in terms of interpersonal relationships he
2: also just isn't that talented too right that's also another big thing about crash is that and like what i like about crash as a character that i think is the most interesting is they simultaneously make him out to be not like a chump but also he's not that talented you know what i mean
3: yeah in terms of the the form of the film, because we are kind of talking about baseball stuff in general. it's yeah. is a movie podcast. You know, we've got to be responsible film critics here. Yeah. Uh, I do really like the style of yeah, this. It Even is. compared to something uh, like Tin Cup, like I liked the the scope compositions of tin cup and and stuff but there's something about the general feeling of the cinematography here that's so warm and nostalgic and like that scene where kevin costner uh is just walking down the street by himself and takes like a pole out of a garbage can and swings it like a baseball bat and you have like that green reflection off the traffic lights and stuff I don't know. Shelton is really leaning into a a not, I wouldn't say a typical 80s look, Mm -hmm. but something that uses uh, more soft colors uh, in juxtaposition with the very harsh, uh, almost black and white lighting of just being under the lights at night on a baseball field. And I I
1: feel like in terms of like, you know, like camera movement and stuff like that, I feel like he kind of... He pulls it out of his pocket yeah, at like the best here and times. There. Like yeah, Like when that and like, kid is running through the stands mm-hmm. and shit. Yeah. yeah, but like, like I love the at bat scenes and kind of like the the way uh, he kind of like tracks Costner in his every movement, whether he's just kind of walking, you know, out of the batter's box for a second. You really, it really fits in with like kind of you know this internal ego game that baseball players have to you know uh, play with their own minds. Yeah, it,
2: it understands that baseball is a mental game. It really understands that baseball, is a, it's a war of attrition. It really understands that. And that's the thing, in
3: comparison with Tin Cup, uh, because Tin Cup is one where he really leads into that. Like, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. That one is Kevin Costner having a mental breakdown <laughs> at the potential height of his yeah. athletic career, you know. And so, Shelton is so in tune with how getting in your own head can you know, just one little tweak in your physicality because of how in your head you are, can ruin your life as an athlete in one <laughs> moment, pretty much. I love those at bats too. The the interiority is great because he's muttering out loud, it you know, and then it switches to voiceover. And it kind of goes back and forth and he's saying the same shit in that muttering tone. He's saying that, you know, bring me that weak shit again, meat. I dare you, you know, <laughs> bring that weak shit one more time. But it's whether he's saying it in his head Uh, Or saying it out loud and then of course the voiceover is always a little more vulnerable, you know Mm -hmm. Uh, And the way that that can cascade into him almost having a breakdown and having to call time step out of the box just those little moments uh, that if you haven't been watching baseball for very long, maybe those kind of key you into how psychological the game that you watch really is. And maybe that's why it takes so long and <laughs> why there's so much, you know, quote unquote, dead time between pitches, because these guys are incredibly deep in thought.
2: Yeah. I mean, they baseball literally is a game. It's a guessing game, right? Like the hitter was going to yeah. guess which pitchers what 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 uh, what, what pitch the pitcher is going to throw. Right. And I think Shelton portrays that very well. It also portrays that baseball is also a game in which like, you can gather the yips, right? Like, Nuke has the yips. Yeah. That's what Nuke has. He has the yips, right? Like, that's why he throws the ball all the way over, you know, to do... Like, Keel from Keel from the Cardinals back in the day, he had the yips, yeah. right? And, like, <laughs> it's like baseball is a game in which, like, the yips happen a lot, right? You don't... It's really interesting, right? Basketball is a game in which if you're not confident... Well, I mean, I guess baseball's like this too, but... Basketball is a game in which, like, if you're not a confident player, you're going to stink. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you you literally have to have that mentality when you play basketball, right? And that's what He yeah. Got Game kind of has. Whereas, like, if you look at a, a movie like Bull Durham, it's like – or Moneyball has that too of Hatterberg. But with, with – in Bull Durham, like, it's kind of where it's like the most talented player can literally be in his head sometimes. Like, you yeah. can have that in baseball because it's a game of failure. and You can get in your head. Those two ideas are, are really interesting to me, and the movie does a great job of it. Yeah,
3: I mean, like Jordan Spieth basically had like the the four year version of that ten minute scene in Tin Cup Man. Like he won <laughs> he won two majors at like before our age. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Malcolm, you're the youngest of the pod. Yeah. I think he was still younger than you when Damn. he won two majors. And then when the Masters hit- at like
2: twenty one, right? Yeah, yeah, he won the Masters and then the U.S.
3: Open like six months later. Uh, Like it's fucking ridiculous. He didn't win another tournament until three fucking weeks ago. You know, like he—it's ridiculous, and it's—it just goes to show how psychological it is. Because also, you watch Spieth play one of the cleanest swings I've ever seen in my life. Like him mm-hmm. and Justin Thomas, I think right now, like easily the cleanest looking swings on the tour. But the, there's, and also Thomas had one of those meltdowns at the Masters a couple of weeks ago. And it's just so sad. Like I legitimately teared up during Tin Cup when he was having a breakdown because it's just like, you're just digging yourself a deeper and deeper hole. And I think Bull Durham, what's great about it as a comedy mm-hmm. is that maybe it doesn't quite let you get to that level you know yeah. like it goes as interior as tin cup does but i think that the love of the game and mm-hmm. the romanticism of it is so deep uh that when costner ends this movie uh by hitting his record setting minor league home run uh which is like a record for being the most mediocre mediocre player of all time kind of uh he goes for what Malcolm you called a couple weeks ago, the tin cup solution. You know, you just got to have a good woman. You just yeah. Gotta, yeah, and he just goes home to Susan Sarandon, but in effect, he's going home to baseball because Susan Sarandon represents the romanticism of baseball and none of the actual on-field struggle, which is what's so beautiful about the end of the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, it's like like with tin cup, it's like he's at the height of uh, you know uh, his professional apex, where it's like, bolt, like. I was gonna call him Bull Durham. Um, <laughs> uh, Costner in this movie kind of realizes that the games he play like doesn't quite matter mm. as much, and that's kind of part of like the mental struggle he kind of brings in from the start of the movie. You know what I mean? Just being a career uh, yeah. minor league player, and I feel like you know, you know, keep playing the compare game. Like I feel like Shelton is kind of obsessed of having like these romantic counterparts to these sports movies because yeah. it is like yeah it is it is like you know the classic tin cup solution you know good woman will set you straight but it it is it is like it is more like you know it's just the hey romance and sports both mental games too you know what I mean it's That's like right. uh so I feel like it's you know kind of a basic uh connection but i I don't know Shelton does it to great effect especially here especially Rating? here. Four bullets. All
0: right.
3: JT, final thoughts on this one and your rating on a scale of one to five bullets.
0: I'm going to give it four bullets as well. I I don't know. I mean, I love like what you guys were saying about how it being set in the minors, I feel like lessens the stakes, but there's more of that romantic element because it's more of doing it for the love of it. I think that like some of my favorite moments are I think it's like maybe two times where it's like raining like sort of in the dark like on the field and it just looks so beautiful and the way like uh Shelton will introduce some scenes with like the crazy sort of minor league like antics like throwing the like cash like to the kids it reminds me like growing up there was our minor league team was the Harrisburg Senators nice. and i would some one of my favorites was they would have the cowboy monkey rodeo <laughs> where it was just like just monkeys on like dogs i believe That's but it's sick. just it has that like i don't know that the milieu of the small town that goes a part of like minor league sports and uh i don't know it's a beautiful little romantic movie
3: yeah i'm gonna go with four as well this is a really great movie and uh i i think that the class aspect is important to note within the minor league system here because it's like these are like working class pro athletes which is such a strange thing to consider kind
2: of crash says yeah i made it to the show for 21 days did you know? In the show, they have people carry their bags for you. It's like yeah. <laughs> it's no. It, it's like it's a it's a they make being in the majors a totally different lifestyle on top of the fact yeah, that you're yeah. in the majors, right? Like it's a totally different type of feeling to it. A totally different type of yeah. I mean, it, it's it's it, it it couldn't be more realistic about what the minor leagues is, while also romanticizing the game. I think it does have like baseball as a romantic sport, but it also has like, hey, crash, we're releasing you because your duties here are done. You've made nuke into a yeah. major league player. D- these guys are on a bus. They're like fighting on a bus. You know what I mean? Like it's not a, it, it's not, it's not a rosy type of of thing. You know what I mean? Like these, yeah. You know, like these, it's not cool. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and 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 to be honest, the minor leagues, um, what's happening in the basement currently, and that mirrors that, right? The minor leagues are being majorly devalued. In the game. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, the t- minor league teams are going bankrupt. Uh, they're defunding. You know what I mean? It's, it's, that's the way it is. Uh, these communities that need these minor league teams as part of their infrastructure, I mean, th- that's going away. So, I mean, you, you're kind of seeing that mirror in real life. And I think Sheldon does a good job of portraying that. I'm giving it five stars. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I didn't get the Serena's performance, but I think it's one of the greatest performances by a lead actress ever, honestly i think she's really one she's sexy as hell in it and two i think that the the character is immensely interesting because of how she clearly loves the game and, and lives by the game but also she's like yo this is my stint. like you know what i mean like this is my thing i just do this shit because i do it you know what i mean and what's really interesting is like she's a she's a reader she's like she, like, loves sex. She, like, um, loves baseball. She also is low-key, like... She has, like, the assistant on the side who also, like, fucks the players as well. <laughs> like, That's I funny I think it's hilarious. Yo, I, I, Saran is amazing in this movie. Um, Costner's great. It's probably uh, the best... Yeah, yeah. It's a great costume performance. Robbins is real it's, it's the best Robbins performance for me because she's hilarious. And Robbins doesn't get a chance to always yeah. be... Really funny and Robbins is great, it's hilarious in this. So so was the uh so was the bench coach. Okay, just stop pissing babe. close, babe. You got it, you got it. Baby. One more, baby, one more, you got it.
3: come on. Baby. Oh yeah, dude. Anytime he's just shouting nonsense out there, because yeah. that's one of my favorite <laughs> things about baseball is like both the signals that the coaches give and the nonsense they shout out there, just like <laughs> indecipherable. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I think this is a perfect movie, so I'm, I, I, I'm giving it a 5 out of 5, yeah.
3: Uh, it's a great movie, no doubt, and honestly, I see myself re-watching it more in the future and probably it growing on me. It just feels like one of those movies, and it's weird that I actually didn't watch it until like last year, because mm-hmm. uh, as a kid, I, I would devour... Any baseball-related media, but I think because my uncle re- repeatedly told me, "Not till you're older." Uh, <laughs> you respected uh, his way, wishes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I also love that uh, Costner respects the streak, man. I, I yeah. that that's the, that's one thing. You know, as far as analytics will drive the future of baseball. Uh, the superstition will always be there, kind of like Jason. Do you do you believe in streaks? Basically, like it, it, do you believe in the hot hand? Do you think if a player is playing more exceptionally well than usual, that they're gonna keep playing more exceptionally well than usual? In basketball, it makes more sense. You give them more shots. Uh, in, in baseball, let's say just find a way to give them more at bats.
2: Um. Yes and no. I, I think yeah. <laughs> I, I think I I think that the hot hand has more to do with how your fundamentals look than then the actual output. For example, Stanton right now is on a fucking tear. And the reason why yeah. is because he looks really comfortable at bat. Whereas, like, when Stanton isn't hitting well, it's because Stanton looks really uncomfortable at bat. You can tell the difference. You can tell the difference between yeah. his instincts and the way he's looking at pitches. And you know what I mean? Like, that's more of what I think it, the hot hand entails.
3: I, I think as much as I've, like, as a as a youngster as that tide was turning i kind of resisted the analytics a little bit and then totally gave way kind of uh, even though i still think it destroyed how certain people talk about sports you know uh it's just it makes it kind of boring to me sometimes uh but regardless I, I i think that only exists with like the top 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 players in their field, honestly, mm-hmm. like you have to be just like at a certain skill set for that to take hold. Uh, I I hate to use yeah. myself here. I've had like good <laughs> days. I've had good days on the golf course. I've had good days on the basketball court. I have never yeah. had the hot hand in any sport that I've played, <laughs> and I don't think you do until you hit that level. Which is mm-hmm. why it is debatable because people only talk about pro sports. You know, yeah. we're not debating about pickup leagues. I
1: mean, I don't want to you know further this, I guess, but it's like I believe in like the team hot hand mm. rather than like an individual like if a team playing okay. well
3: together ball movement spurs
1: yeah yeah well i'm thinking more baseball here because it's just okay. like I, I just saw that you know the oakland a's my own team the oakland a's just going a 12 game win streak and it's mm. like some of those games it's like they at the 10th inning like they won one game in the 10th inning where it was just two errors and they they scored a run and that's yeah. how they won so it's i don't know may, may, i'm not thinking too deeply but sometimes just teams
4: get a lucky streak the baseball
3: gods just Tilt yeah. the scale a little bit. I think yeah. more than any other sport, it just feels like once in a while, not even individual player things, yeah. just the gods tip the scales a little and it's fucked up. <laughs> we'll be right back on Extended Clip.
1: A chastity was your idea. I
2: know, I'm telling I you, never, just keep your hands out. I never That's told I'm you. most certainly I did. never
1: told him to stay out of but your yes, bed. She I told him that a player on a streak has to respect the streak fine you know why because they don't they don't happen very often why if you believe you're playing well because you're getting laid or because you're not getting
0: laid or because you wear women's underwear then you are
3: of course it doesn't shock me yeah <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> it does I, not shock it, yeah. me. I i used to be blocked by him on all my old twitter accounts before i made this <laughs> one like that i'm like trying to be a little nicer to people <laughs> like yeah what about the last couple years i've still blocked.
2: been um i'm blocked by wale the Ooh. rapper.
3: Oh wow, well, oh that's pretty yeah. sick. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yours,
1: yours I got I got a, I got a few to be honest. Yeah. Um, John Cusack and Russell Crowe are two of the the
2: prize possessions. Russell oh, though, I bro, I love Russell Crowe. What did you do to that man? I, I love I
1: I, <laughs> I I I like Russell Crowe too, but like I, it was so funny. It's like 5 years ago. He had he had that tweet about like reading maps or whatever some dumb shit like that yeah
4: and i don't know if
3: I, you know that. it was like it's kind of a popular tweet people love to post screenshots of but it's this yeah it's this dumb tweet where he says like i love reading maps and
1: exploring yeah, or something and like I, that and i manually retweeted it back in the day no quote tweets um i just said loser and he just blocked me because
2: <laughs> <laughs> that rules that actually rules on me loser I, <laughs> I, i'm I, I am
3: blocked by a lot of editors and uh film journalism people despite the fact that oh, i made yeah, this account that
2: Armand White blocked me, which is really sad because I love Armand. I love Armand. Yo, that is my guy. (laughs) (laughs) Me and Rob be talking about Armand on the regular. Yo, me and Rob are always just like, yo, Yo, Armand is the (laughs) man, bro. I love Armand.
3: Oh, we've read from his reviews on this show way too much. Like, (laughs) probably the most we've
2: ever read from a critic. Armand's the only film critic, in my opinion, that literally, like, I think film criticism is ass right now. And, like, he is the best film critic. First of all, yeah. I don't agree with any of his takes, but he's a great writer, one. And two, yeah, you know. I think that, yeah, like, he he is contrarian, and he does write for, like, a white supremacist organization, but, like that's not that's not a good yeah. but <laughs> and, and, <laughs> out.com. <laughs> and out.com, and out.com. That, it's crazy though the shit that he writes for out.com is like really anti. it's like obviously he's gay yeah, but like the yeah. shit he writes for out.com is low-key anti-gay like i mean not yeah. anti-gay but it's like it, it's mad funny it's just it throws cold water on all the shit that like all these like all the people on, on even like and people who i love who i follow who like champion like um, he hated, he hated, uh, what's the, what's the movie? What's the fuck with, uh, with uh, Army Hammer? Call me by your name. Call me by your name, yeah. yeah. He hated that shit. And, like, low key, <laughs> his review of it is, like, really, really great. He's like, yo, yeah, why do y'all are y'all serious? Like, this dude's, like, 25. He's fucking with a 17-year-old. This makes us look... He's like, this makes us look like predators and shit. And it's, like, low-key, yeah. like... <laughs> it's, like, low-key, has exactly. got a point there. <laughs> no,
1: it's, like... Look, a lot of people I, are making that point now, like, yeah. years later, too. Like, well,
2: it's it's both the, like... I, I'm not a huge fan of that, because it's, yeah, like... Yeah. It's one of those, like, cancel culture stuff. But at the same time, yeah, exactly. like, I also don't love that movie. And part of... One of the reasons I don't love it because I just think it looks like, I just think it's like boring kind of. And I think it's also just like mm. really like, uh, I just don't think it's, I don't just don't think there's any real romance to it. Like, I, I don't think it's like a, yeah, yeah it, it, it like tries to tell you that it's a romantic comedy, but it's all like lust in the movie. It's very odd to me. Yeah,
3: I, I I didn't like it on a tonal level, and I really didn't like the monologues toward the
2: end. I also don't love Moonlight, but if you compare it to Moonlight, yeah. like it's a di- little bit different. Moonlight's a real he- human type of film, like you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like-
3: well, and it's committed to just being a drama. I I think Call Me by Your Name is like yeah tonally a little all over the place because Guadagnino wants to do art house romance drama, a little bit of like lightness too. Yeah. Eh, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> We're back on extended clip. Not sure how much of that will stay in the podcast. There, there's that was a certain gold. well. There's a certain point where it's job jeopardy, and then it's not. Nice. I haven't seen any of those
2: movies recently. I'll, I'll talk about a movie I have seen. I have. I did yeah. watch. I recently watched *Silence of the Lambs* again. Oh, and like I just want to say, what a movie! <laughs> What's really funny about this shit, too, to me is like the way he talks to Clarice. The way Anthony Hopkins talks to Clarice in the movie. <laughs> when he's like I don't think the ass is on those second rate shoes please
3: <laughs> I I hate to say this but all the scene like the scene where she gets the, the, the goo flung at her like <laughs> that that whole set piece down there it's nasty but it's funny it's 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 nasty enough to be funny in the way that like Grindhouse yeah, movies yeah. are you know yeah. no cap
2: like there's parts of that movie to me that are dead ass mad funny me and my girlfriend love making fun of Buffalo Bill and rub a lotion on a skin and the hose again <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, bro. I don't know why, yo. I don't know why I find that movie funny. But I think I know why. It's funny. It's, it's <laughs> funny. Yeah, yeah. One, I think one, it's a it's a masterpiece by Demi. Like the way he yeah. shoots people's eyes in that movie. Like it looked like ugh, Josh Lewis of the Season podcast had a really good post about it on Letterbox. It like. It looks like everyone's changing in the movie because the the crimes in the movie are are horrific, and doubly so in the context of like the human beings. Like, like, Carice ages a ton in the movie because it's like you know not like ages ages, but like her it, she looks completely different from the beginning of the movie towards the end. It's like you know what I mean. And 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 I that is the movie I watched last week. Classic, Stone Cold. Yeah. Classic.
3: I don't think anyone's gonna argue with you there.
2: <laughs> he's like, he, he's like telling she's "Like your accent is pure West Virginia. You're those cheap shoes you have. <laughs> like, he's like grading her outfit and shit. It's like, it's like Hannibal yeah, the that's... cannibal man. It man reads GQ all day. <laughs> uh, 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 that's what they're letting him read that, in prison. Yeah. That movie had
1: to start like kind of like the trend of like cool serial killers, like kind of oh, like yeah. the cool like yeah, I know it all, and I kill people too. I
2: think that trend is like bad now because now Netflix does oh, like. Yeah. These, like Netflix does like these yeah, terrible serial yeah. shit, but but like Silence of the Lambs is the beginning of that and that shit rules like yo that man I, is like that I man do. only reads Vogue <laughs> 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 he, he
3: already he already learned all this smart shit like when he was a doctor so in prison he's just yeah he's, he's reading he's people learning about
2: culture learning about culture he's like, who do you think you are coming here with your cheap shoes and your cheap bag I'm like let's go Hannibal laughing <laughs> Oh man. Oh (laughs) God. And so I was like I haven't seen the father, but I was like, yo, I definitely I'm, let me just read I was like, I was gonna watch the father, but then I saw the plot and I was like, ah, this shit seems way too I'm not in the mood for this. Yeah. Let me just put on silence of the lambs again, baby. I was like
3: Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> get some prime Hopkins, the
1: real deal. Any movie that's named like The Father, the Mother, it's the wife. Like, yeah, I'm a little skeptical. The Glenn yeah. close yeah. wife. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that movie
3: uh-uh. that movie disappeared from the atmosphere after the awards. It didn't ceremony. even appear. It didn't Everyone even thought
2: she was gonna win, but then Coleman won for the favor, which is well deserved. That's one of my favorite performances of like a decade and then, like, close at the Academy Awards, like, was had the sour on her face, like, she, so, she, <laughs> was, sick, she Ellic- was sick, bro. She was sick,
3: <laughs> yeah. That was the moment where she realized she had to do Hillbilly Ellen. like, when I gotta get lost, the fat suit. like, well, I gotta, gotta get the fat, fat suit.
4: <laughs> 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 She, oh god <laughs>
1: she came home that night opened her closet you know looked at the fat suits like i'm gonna
3: have to bring it out i'm gonna have to do it uh, uh,
2: uh, uh. she should have went for fatal attraction though she i mean that i mean that's you know
3: well it's malcolm in the middle it's everyone's favorite segment malcolm yeah what, what what'd you watch this week
1: well you know i've been i've been a studious boy recently and i i haven't i haven't had to the chance to watch any movies unfortunately Um, besides the ones for the pod, of course. So I'm I'm getting into my brain, and I just watched a little series. I'm going to have to go TV mode. Okay. Uh, Party Down. Oh. Uh, Yeah, I watched season one and two of Party Down, and uh, yeah, it's a really funny show. I mean, it's to kind of be reductive or whatever. It's kind of like The Office but for like people who work like lower <laughs> lower tier job or like yeah. certain food service and stuff like that, you know, jobs I've actually had. So like there's like a I don't know, a level of a uh, relation there, I guess. But uh Yeah, I mean, it's yeah.
3: uh the look. Uh, let's 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 make no bones about let's it. The office honest. didn't uh, invent the workplace comedy. Well, yeah, of but, course. Uh, <laughs> no, in terms of that kind of single cam no uh no uh no laugh track, almost there's a lot of handheld in it i'm yeah, not gonna say yeah. it's documentary style but there's a lot of handheld and party down Which yeah. sometimes i'm not a fan of yeah. but super fucking funny show about working dog shit food service jobs which mm-hmm. is the only kind of job i've ever had <laughs> yeah. and uh it, it really hits home and like there, there's so many good
1: performances in mm-hmm. well yeah the it is like it has a as fun conceits right like it is like uh, every episode you know it's a catering company so every episode they're catering a new event and you know you could uh There's a number of events, you know, a failed orgy was one of the episodes I remember, Uh, you know, just random banquets and stuff like that. And all, you know, just think of the type of people who run banquets, you know, people like running like nonprofits or just like, you know, just like weird organizations and like holding celebrations or whatever. So uh, yeah, it's just a really funny milieu. And yeah, the cat.
3: Now that you say that, it's kind of a procedural show. It is, it has a procedural element. More than how most sitcoms operate uh, and workplace comedies, even mm-hmm. that one is literally like this group of character has a the same mission every single episode in a new location, mm-hmm. just to to cater a party. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's why it's so fucking good. Like yeah. it just keys into that repetition. Uh, which breeds for perfect television
1: but unlike a cop show you know these people don't give a fuck about doing their job either. yeah exactly so, like, so you know there's some fun to be and yeah just like kind of like there, are, like most of them are failed actors or failed people in like the movie industry you know so you get some bright personalities or even like Martin Starr who kind of contrasts that the guy who's like I never sold out or yeah. whatever yeah, quoting Repo Man at yeah, everyone he,
3: ordinary fucking people he's like
1: man. no one knows what Repo Man is and then it's just like <laughs> everyone at the party's like oh yeah Repo Man yeah and uh <laughs> So yeah, really funny show. I enjoyed it a lot. And I finished it, you know, it's only two seasons, 10 episodes each season, but finished it relatively fast. Yeah,
3: every too. time I've watched that, it's been over the course of like a week or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, JT, you see, well, you, have you seen Party Down?
0: Uh, yeah, I love it. It's great.
3: Uh, What, what, what did you watch this week? Uh, again,
0: Malcolm I'm and I are in a similar page. It's hard doing a movie podcast. You watch so many fucking <laughs> it's movies. It's not hard. Dude, it's this, so like, fucking this is hard. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> my second job. But yeah, so I've been watching some fucking TV recently. Oh my
3: god, you guys are bringing down the and... session with <laughs> that, that televisual nonsense. No, this
0: this is some <laughs> elevated television for okay. you. I've been watching a lot of Fear Factor, <laughs> Ooh. and uh, it's on Hulu. Fortunately, they haven't cropped it. It's okay. in uh, the beautiful four um, three for the. I mean, oh I'm, yeah, yeah, you're it's all pretty good. far. <laughs> um, and I don't know. There's some pro- surprisingly very beautiful compositions in it <laughs> where there's like, they have, okay, so in season two, I think this is where they've started to really up the gimmicks. There's one episode in particular I wanna talk about where it's like their second celebrity-like fear factor where they have one of the Backstreet Boys, uh Stephen Baldwin, uh the Doritos girl, uh, uh, an actress from uh, Days of Our Lives and Alan Thicke. who's, the, who's the Doritos girl? Yeah, um, that's like three Doritos was, campaigns away. Yeah, I <laughs> you know it was an early 2000s thing. I had to look it up afterwards because yeah. I wasn't sure. I was like, "Oh, the Doritos girl." They named it. There was like a competition where it was across America, like a beauty pageant, to name the Doritos girl. The 2000s were a, a, really a simpler time. <laughs> that's sick. But there are some really funny like surprisingly interesting like dissolves where it gets into and this happens in like regular non-celeb Fear Factor in the regular episodes where it's like it will dissolve water over just them looking into the (laughs) distance. It's very funny. But yeah, no, that one's great. They've really upped the gimmicks in the second season. There was a Playboy model, Fear Factor. Ooh. Yeah, it's some good shit. I mean, they go. You I can miss tell the
3: early 2000s so much. You
0: <laughs> can tell they're like softballing, like the uh, the actors sometimes with yeah. like the easier stunts. But in the celebrity one I watched, they had them get into like a, a like. A segmented like coffin where the head was cockroaches, your torso, you're like sorting snakes, and then they had worms in the bottom of your feet. And
3: I would be too yeah. feared
1: to do that. I think if you want to be a celebrity and you want all the attention, that's something you kind of have to do. You have to exactly do some fear factor shit. You got to put your your feet in a vat of worms or something like that to really earn that status that at least in nasty. my opinion I and
0: Joe guy. Rogan being the good sport that he is he he ate a cockroach unnecessarily I remember
3: that I actually remember because I watched that show with my mom a bit as a kid mm-hmm. that was like one of the only non like I hate to say this but what I would call them the only non-girl shows that my mom watched because mm-hmm. everything that my mom watched whether it was blockbuster rentals or TV were for girls and uh, <laughs> so I loved when we watched uh, Fear Factor <laughs> anyway I watched a movie I watched a film this week. You know, well, I'm, can, hey, I'm, congratulations. I'm up the here. <laughs> I watched Tony, the 1935 Ooh. film by Jean Renoir. Now, Jean Renoir is very quickly becoming one of my favorite directors of all time. This man makes films about French men who just deeply love. Uh, lusting after women. You know, on an Extended Clip, we talk about how certain films love love. I yeah. think Renoir, despite the fact that he does love love, he loves lust, especially these early 30s movies, mm-hmm. man. And so it's something like A Day in the Country, classic, just about two guys trying to, you know, have sex with a mom and her daughter, pretty much. Uh, and then this one, Tony, is about this guy who has to kind of mature a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's really, it puts him in some very... I wouldn't even say that drastic of situations. Like it's a melodrama, but it's not as crazy as some of the other melodramas from this era. it's It's very like downbeat and almost realistic in a certain way. And whenever Renoir feels like he's going more realistic, Then he hits you with this crazy tracking shot of like water or something that just makes you think, oh my God, this is just pure poetry and I'm never going to be mad about nepotism in the industry again (laughs) (laughs) because if one of the great painters of all time can birth one of the great filmmakers of all time, I'll I'll take all the Max Landis's you give me. That's nepotism
1: (laughs) that makes sense, right? You know, painter (laughs) to filmmaker nepotism. You know, you're not a fan of nepotism myself, but- you know, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll be right back on Extended Clip.
2: With oh, yeah. a win today over the Twins, Oakland moves into the ALCS for the first time since 1992. Well, John, remember one thing. Percentages hold up over the course of a season. But for one game, one at bat, throw the percentages out of the window. Oh, I saw French Connection. That's also another. We don't have to put that in, but I saw French Connection. That's also another thing.
3: Oh, dude, that dude, French Connection. I haven't seen it in a couple years, but the car chase scenes are ridiculous. Are
2: ridiculous. Like, 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 how do you shoot that in New York? Yo, low key, what I realized too about that movie is like that's the precursor to the Wire in a lot of different ways, man. There's a lot of scenes where they're just breaking apart, like why they're breaking apart like cars, and they're like they're doing all these types of like we're just trying to look and see if we can find shit. Like those are the precursors to McNulty and Bunk trying to, like, do a bunch of shit, you know what I mean? Except yeah. McNulty and Bunker are likable, whereas, like, Gene Hackman's, like, a racist. Gene Hackman's just... Yeah. Papa was just, like, really just a piece of shit. You know what I mean? He's just, like, a loser or so like, like,
3: But, hey, if we want honesty in our cop movies, they're gonna be piece-of-shit losers, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly,
2: that's a fact, that's a fact.
3: I mean, I've been watching The Shield lately, and, yeah, I mean, I can't... show
2: The Shield doesn't get enough credit for being one of the more progressive, mo- progressive shows in terms of, like, how it portrays police in ever yeah. it's
3: it's one of the most brutal things I've ever watched in my life <laughs> yeah. dude.
2: It's honestly more it's the wire gives the cops like a lot of dick it, it definitely makes the cops look like, you know, people who might bend the rules. But like yeah. they definitely make the cops be like, oh we're trying our best. Whereas like yeah. the shield is like, no, <laughs> these people are evil people. Like the shield <laughs> is like nah, actually Vic Mac honestly though, like my my biggest thing about the Shield though is Vic Mac is like five six running LA. Get the fuck out of here man. They in the streets. <laughs> Niggas would have lo- smacked that dude up in the street. I swear to God.
1: Uh, <laughs> hey, it's, it's Cinco de Mayo today, today.
2: Oh, yeah, it's
3: Cinco de Mayo, the classic Vic Mackey quote. Yeah. <laughs> <The> Cinco <laughs> de Mayo. Bro,
2: that man is like 5'7". Get out of here, bro. Yeah. <laughs> he ain't running to L.A. Get out of it's here. It's the girth. Bro. It's
3: the girth, man. You're underestimating the <laughs> <Yeah>. your girth. <laughs> yeah. oh, am, I under- am I underestimating
2: Vic Mackey, you think? Yeah, uh, just, just
3: just the girth and tonnage, just the girth. That's, and that's fair. That's
2: fair. That's fair that's... I just busted right inside him, and, and he can't
3: extend on me anymore. And he seems a little overwhelmed by my girth and tonnage. Right? I just.
2: Oh, I like this I really like the shield, but I've always, yeah. I always. That's one. Of, that's only my biggest <laughs> thing. Where I'm like, I yeah. supposed to believe this man runs the streets. Get out of here, bro.
3: No, <laughs> It's <laughs> funny they, because now that why, you say that. All the, all the all the you
2: t- yo. Why don't they have just mad dudes in the game? Just like murder this dude, like wait, just beat him up right quick. Like this man is mad small. <laughs> like, I was so about to say
3: you're you're making me realize the casting is fantastic because he's always beating up on like criminals that are smaller than him. Like he will never he will never find a guy who's six feet tall dealing drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe maybe it's
0: like. Yo, Big
2: Macy ain't shit. (laughs) Big Macy ain't shit. I ain't scared of that man. I think from what I think maybe the
1: LAPD like operates. It's like they have a six foot and under division, six foot (laughs) and over division, (laughs) and it's like, what what height is the criminal? It's like, all right, we'll send Vic. Yeah, hey, that's exactly. all I'm <laughs> on. <gonna, yeah. laughs>
3: is this our 5'9 and under unit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that that store. Uh, I don't know if you guys... Yes. J- oh, JT, that you, that you work right so by... There, there's this store like a block down from the restaurant JT works at that's called like Jimmy Oz Suits for Men 5'8 and Under. It's just <laughs> like... Just scouting out the clientele. Just, yeah, <laughs> all
2: I don't know.
0: all just the funny. ads on the side are so antagonistic. Like, stop pretending. Stop
3: waiting for a growth spurt. Like, fucking come in
0: here.
2: Yo, that man don't run the block, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're
3: if you're shopping at Jimmy Oz, you can't be an uh, intimidating cop.
2: No, for exactly. real. You, man don't run no block. Get out of here. You got Walton Goggins on your team. That man don't run the block either. Bro. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Goggins. that's actually one of my favorite things about it is like because yeah a lot of the physical confrontations would be lost a lot of the show is people just watching in horror at them doing that shit like people don't chat like they're just like the scene where walton goggins is just pissing on a dude in the middle of the street and it's just like ain't nobody
2: videotaping this shit bro (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) well i
3: think in that one one lady busted out of camera but no, like, uh, outside camera shit has come in yet. And I'm at season three. No, like, civilian camera shit has been used in the plot yet.
2: In fairness to the show, in real life, nobody started videotaping cops doing shit until, like, 2016. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I never... yeah until you had a good camera in your pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like videotaping police is, like, a very recent thing. It's, like, not, like... Because the reason why they've been yeah. to be able to get... I mean, there's a lot of reasons why. But one of the reasons why they've been able to get away with shit like this for since inception is because, yeah. like... People are just like, oh, we're just gonna watch this shit happen. <laughs> so, like, yeah. you know, like,
3: all right, so to transition to a lighter note of Moneyball, <laughs> mm-hmm. from the the show that accurately depicts police brutality, to the the movie that, well, we'll see how accurately uh. it depicts the changing tides of baseball. Um, while Bull Durham explored like the life of the working class uh, pro athlete. Moneyball is about the people who control the game at its highest level, the people who are buying and selling players and what the, the changing tides of ideology in that position, kind of. Uh, as for these guys, you know, baseball is their entire life. So the way they look at baseball is their life ideology, basically. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I
2: it's I don't know. Uh, J- Jason, tell us a little bit about Moneyball. OK, so Moneyball. I have two things about Moneyball. I'm a huge Brad Pitt fan, so that's one of the things that Moneyball mm-hmm. does for me. But the second thing yes. is I'm a huge Yankees fan, right? So for me, Moneyball is something that I don't really understand. I don't understand the idea of we need to sign players who can get the most out of their value because we can't sign superstars. My mm-hmm. team signed Garrett Cole two years ago, right? Yeah, so uh-huh. like, I don't understand that type of thought. Um, I was always trading of the idea of that the Steinbrenner family can go out and get anybody, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think I think even the rich owners have become a little bit like cheap, uh, as you see with the Red Sox and as you even see with the Yankees as well. But around that time, money bought was made. The Yankees were throwing out money at everybody. We had Clemens, we had this guy, we had that guy. You know what I mean? It was like a it wasn't a worth saving money type of uh, type of deal. Whereas Billy Bean talks about like, hey, I can't afford Giambi, so Giambi's out. I can only afford 10 million for Damon. And so I have to find a way to, you know what I mean? Like he's like trying to do all these different types of things and I have to get Hatterberg because I don't have enough money to sign like a real first baseman. So I have to get Hatterberg who's like, quote unquote, gets on base and all these, like we have to maximize our value because we can't get in order to maximize our value. We have to think about things outside the box. So we have to think about things like, Oh, this guy gets on base, but nobody is, Looking at people who quote unquote get on base, they're so just looking at people who hit, who hit doubles and hit singles, right? Or even things I remember there's one scene in the movie where Pitt says to well Pitt as Billy Bean says to um one of the players, he goes, When you get on first, I don't want you stealing bases. He's like, But stealing bases is my thing. He's like, No, I pay to get on first, I don't pay to get thrown out at second. And those are things that are that weren't talked about in the game of base. Like those we were talking about Crash Davis. Those are things Crash Davis would hate. Yeah. <laughs> Those are things that weren't really talked about in baseball in terms of like how do we maximize our value. And I think that's what Moneyball kind of, and I know this is just a movie in real life already happened, but I think Moneyball brought that kind of to the forefront of like, you know, this is a new statistical revolution in how we think about the game. And I think that teams that eventually won the World Series looked at the game like that, right? The Royals, yeah. I felt, um, were a Moneyball team. We're going to, have mm-hmm. a deep bullpen full of arms and full of cheap arms that you know we can control right now. The Rays do Moneyball, I think, perfectly better than anybody in the league right now, right? And so I think that you type, you kind of see that, and um, I think Moneyball does a really good job of showing that. While also, I have some criticisms about the idea of management and management even doing Moneyball. Like, I think owners yeah. can afford to pay players. They just don't want to. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so um, I, so I, I don't think Moneyball talks about that enough, but I think that it is a really interesting change—the in changing tides of the game.
1: As, you know, an Ace fan or whatever, I guess, you know, I have a personal relation to the... This movie too, and it is like it is funny. Every A's game I've ever been to, there's like these guys in right field who just are like have signs that are basically like "fuck the owner of the Oakland A's," like <laughs> like Jack Wolf retire. Like yeah, there's a he need yeah you need to pay up Jack Wolf. That's all I gotta say. Pony up,
3: pony up for the big boys. J T. How how do you feel about this movie? Detached from baseball stuff, as a story about a man working a job with a family. Uh, I mean uh, you know it it has to be like that to be sold as a 50 million dollar movie distributed by Sony it is a drama with a family in it Mm -hmm. kind of well yeah yeah, yeah, exactly (laughs) I mean it's like hey maybe that's a flaw
0: I mean I too am a big pit fan and so his performance in this is great it's I don't know was able to carry a lot of it for me I think there is like an interesting interplay like the what I found most compelling is like the interplay of like People as numbers versus like real life individuals and I feel like there's a little bit of that that it brings out like the potential to like have a team full of like less renowned players I think is something that highlights in a positive way but also they're doing it in like a pretty manipulative in manipulative terms and they're also just willing to it's like not building a coalition of people that are all valuable forever it's just like when you're done we can drop you yes. like very quickly <laughs> there and i think the way in terms of examining it like through capitalism of like seeing people as specific like specifically for that type of value is interesting i'm not sure if it does Necessarily enough with that for me to to sell me on the whole, but well, I, I think like that the a lot. reason
3: it doesn't do enough with it is it kind of just begs the question. I think it's a more yeah. interesting text on that level than it is a good one. Like I think Aaron Sorkin, I think, really puts the icing on the cake, probably in making it such an easy read to think Moneyball is neoliberalism. Moneyball <laughs> is market solutions for seemingly human problems. You, you, it's not yeah. about letting the markets take care of themselves. It's about utilizing the market the best way you can. You know, pulling yourself up by your uh, thirty million dollar uh, uh, payroll bootstraps in uh, compared to the uh, one hundred ten million dollar Yankee bootstraps, rather than something that would even the playing field, like a salary cap, uh, yeah. <laughs> per chance, or or something like that. And so, I think that it's it's so clear that like the use of analytics and sabermetrics and like all these advanced statistics are so clearly objectively right. Like you're you're predicting it because it's math and there is a human element, but there's only so much of it. And, you know, the more baseball you play, uh, it's 162 fucking game season. The more you play, the more the stats kind of pan out the way they're supposed to. And I think that that kind of contradiction for me of the stats being right but the financial approach leaving me kind of weary uh, mm-hmm. is what makes Moneyball kind of more interesting than good. And I think it's interesting you said the Royals, Jason, because part of what I don't like about this movie is how pure it tries to make Moneyball. Like, the you're not supposed to steal, no bunts, stuff like that. The Royals assembled a Moneyball team, but... They also played small ball. They they won a World Series because of mm-hmm. bunting and hit and run and shit like that. And I think it is kind of that – it's that combination. <laughs> it's like you have to have the old-timey, the the traditions alongside the new information that's
2: objectively correct. This year's Yankees team, and even like – we haven't won yet, but this year – I mean, the Dodgers are probably a better example, right? So, like, last year's Dodgers mm-hmm. team is a powerhouse in terms of they've paid players. They have Mookie Betts. They have Cody Bellinger. They have uh, – clean kershaw they have you know
3: justin turner walker bueller etc yeah
2: etc etc you know they have great players right um they have great players that they've paid money right for right they even they a few years ago they traded for machado in order to get to the world series like you know i mean this is a great baseball team with that being said they also have firearms coming out the pen right and Mm -hmm. i think that and, and if you look at this year's yankees team we have that as well, right? we have players who have John Carlos Stanton and we have Aaron Judge, we have Garrett Cole, we have Corey, uh, Corey Kluber. We have players that we've paid a lot of money to get. And we also have uh, Ronald Chapman. And we also have guys like Chad Green and uh, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Luizaga and a lot of these like arms that nobody knows about. And it's like, that's kind of what you have to have. You have to have a combination of both. Right. And yeah. I think that, like you said, Eddie, like Moneyball looks at it as bulletproof. Like they're, Moneyball looks at – Moneyball was made by people who literally believe in what they're writing. No disrespect. Like Moneyball is made by Sorkin and all these other people who actually, actually believe that what they're writing is the truth. However, the A's lost that year just like they lost they, the year before. Just like they lost yeah. the year before. Yeah, and but, they're not going to
3: win a World Series. Well, anytime well soon. <laughs> let's
1: let's let's slow the brakes on that because who has the best record in the MLB all right, right I, now? Back to what Jason the was Oakland saying, A's, though. the <laughs> Oakland A's, motherfuckers. So maybe Moneyball's back. I've been very skeptical <laughs> on you know Moneyball and the processes. I've you know I watched all those years the A's lost. They've actually had you know some good years, some playoff appearances. I know I'm talking to Dodgers fan, Yankees fan. You know can't really appreciate the small <laughs> victories like that, of course. But but you know who knows? Who knows? Who knows? That's all I'm going to say. Who knows? As of now,
2: people know those A's teams yeah. had good team, got really talented players on their roster. Oh yeah, Tejada. was the MVP that Moneyball year, right? Tejada was the MVP yeah. that year. Xavi was a great before Xavi got injured. He was a great player. Um, mm-hmm. Zito, Mulder, Hudson, like these all guys are like these Amazing. are like six plus WAR players. This is a really good team. So the way that they portray. The movie at times it looks like they just had a bunch of ragtag dudes, and they had yeah. but they had a they had some talented motherfuckers on that squad. You know what I mean? Like, they they talk
3: about the guy with the fucked up underhand delivery. Meanwhile, yeah. you had Barry Zito, who literally had the nastiest yeah. curve I've ever seen in my life. Like yeah. I've never seen like maybe Granky, but like I I haven't seen anything like Zito in my life. That and that's such a cinematic opportunity that they missed, in my
2: opinion. Mm-hmm. Zito was a great pitcher before he kind of like. He, he, he had the type of style, that type of that caning curve style that, like, I mean, they started punishing the ball in, like, the mid-2000s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, once he got that conscious, they started punishing the ball. But, like, when he was in Oakland around that time, like, yeah. he was nasty. Hudson mm-hmm. was yeah. probably better, honestly. Like, if you look at the advanced stats, Hudson was probably always better. But, like, Hudson was also nasty. Like, Mulder, like, yeah. really good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, they had a good team, and so, like, A lot of the movie, I have a weird relationship with Moneyball because a lot of the movie I disagree with. However, the saving grace of Moneyball is Brad Pitt is unbelievable in this movie. Yes. No, that
1: that is like trying to detach my baseball emotions from the the movie. It is hard, but it is like the best scenes are kind of when you just have Pitt in a room with someone just kind of going one-on-one acting and you kind of have like, I mean, of course, an obvious uh, thing that we could all probably comment on is the, the Pitt-Philip uh, Seymour Hoffman uh, interactions and kind of how passive and uh, just defeated <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. low Moore energy. Yeah. yeah, low energy. Uh, yeah, and it's, and like, yeah, I don't know. It is interesting just to see Pitt kind of just mow through this organization.
0: Yeah. This is a good friend of mine. I can't manage this team under a one-year contract. Well, sure you can. No, I can't. Okay, I got to put a team on the field. After that, I'll take a good long look at your contract. How about you deal with the manager's contract and then put a team on the field? All right. at this moment, if a ground is hit the first, nobody's going to be there to stop it from rolling. It's not easy doing what I do under the cloud of a one-year contract. Okay, I understand that. I've been there. I know, I know you have. And a one-year contract means the same thing to a manager as it does to a player. There's not a lot of faith there. No,
3: I think I think Pitt really delivers a movie star performance here. That if you don't have someone as good as Pitt or nearly as yeah. good as Pitt, this movie sucks. Like I, I, I really, say, really yeah. think that yeah. this is like. It's it's one of those things where to, to relate it to like uh, politics or whatever, uh, you know, there's all these genre movies that I love that have these terrible politics and stuff. And if the genre elements are good enough, you kind of see through it for the other types of pleasures that you get out of the film A film like Death Wish three, you know, pretty fucking fascist. Uh, but one of my favorite movies of the 80s, no doubt. Moneyball, it's strange that I still have such a gripe with it in terms of like historical accuracy like that's something i almost never care about but like yeah like you said jason like the fact that it portrays it as this ragtag group yeah. despite that the fact that they had these like six wins above replacement guys on their team that were killing it you know mm-hmm. uh is is kind of weird and the the purity of it where it's like you're never gonna see small ball again it's literally numbers or death uh is also like a false dichotomy and maybe the maybe the viewer is meant to infer those things and like meant to make those connections of how difficult that's supposed to be but for me it it does hold back my enjoyment a bit but when it's just a brad pitt movie star movie it rules
2: go ahead and if you know the game i think you can infer that right like me you and malcolm Eddy, like we understand the game so we understand that some of that is bullshit right but someone who doesn't really know the game that well they think that that is like they're watching that movie, and the only conclusion you can get from that movie is, like, that is the way. Yeah, like, JT, JT you're not,
3: like, a baseball person. But no, like, I mean, I feel like, in general, it it, right? it's
0: like, the, it comes, I, I think the contradictions emerge from them trying to do Moneyball. I think a lot of the solutions they have, like, have to be more personal. And, the, I mean, the fact that it doesn't succeed, in general, I mean, shows that there's problems with it. But it does really, like go as like this is the path like beats that drum pretty hard yeah
3: and uh the i will say despite the fact that Pitt can deliver any fucking dialogue you give him the the more sorkin standout lines sometimes put a little Mm. tinge in me like uh his first interaction with jonah hill where jonah hill just says his name three times and he's like well what do you do and it's like uh I, I don't know. It feels a little weird, mm-hmm. but then there's these really speechifying moments that are totally Sorkin yeah. that I love. When Brad Pitt is talking about how it's hard not to be romantic about the game and Jonah Hill is narrating tape of Kevin Euclid. Yeah. Uh, that or that, great. that one minor league, huge 250 pound guy slipping on first base toward the end.
2: That but stuff is who fantastic. ends up actually hitting a home run. And that's why he's just yeah. like,
1: one of my favorite moments in the movie. Honestly.
2: And, and, yeah. and, and it does a good job with, it clearly does love baseball. Still, I will say I'll give it credit. Like the movie, definitely still does love baseball, but I think that it's a little bit of a different type of love than Bill Durham has. It's a little bit more of like not love of human, but like love of outcome. It's it's weird. It it it's weird. It's 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 it's, it's it has a different type of feel to it. It's, and I think a lot of that is because it's from the point of view of management. Yeah. I think
0: that one aspect of it that's weird in terms of being sort of like a cold and distant movie Mm -hmm. is how it tries to like sort of shoehorn the the Brad Pitt like backstory into it just Mm. like delivered with like a significantly less like talented performer as well yeah that, that the like,
3: flashback stuff in that, theory works but i i the actual scenes where he yeah. has an act suck
0: i feel like it adds more of like an unnecessary like human journey into a movie that is like i mean obviously the passion for baseball is there but it's generally like yeah cold and detached No,
1: definitely like it's using like <laughs> the shittiness of the a stadium in its favor yeah definitely with that because it is like I've noticed like, you know, especially except, you know, the small moments where you get to see, you know, a real life game. It is like a lot of these scenes are like early in the morning, late at night. Like it is like a, it's kind of playing like, yeah, with this kind of like cold, detached, like let's see the role of management. And it is like I, I guess that's kind of like I don't know the move. The movie's form is kind of. Pivoting off of, you know, the idea of Moneyball, I'd have to Yeah, like
3: when he goes uh, toward the end, and we're going totally out of order here. I don't think there's any need to run through the film chronologically. I could just say the plot real quick. Brad Pitt employs uh, Jonah Hill to run the A's in the style of Moneyball, a sabermetrics-driven system. Uh, for low uh, salary teams to uh, maximize value using a- advanced statistics and things that really upset the old guard of kind of classic baseball scouts. And so it's that uh, the both the fans while the team is losing and uh, the, the scouts and the more traditional baseball people are kind of Brad Pitt's opposition through this. But really, it's just a a journey through the season through brad pitt's eyes pretty much and so toward the end of the season or really after the season rather when they lose in the playoffs he's offered a gig at the red Sox at fenway park and you know for a movie that talks about how romantic the game is it's pretty funny that his job offer at one of the most beautiful stadiums of all time and even remark about how it's such a beautiful stadium is like in the rain There's one shot of them just covered in the red seats under umbrellas, which it looks nice, but not in a way that's like, oh, that's a beautiful stadium. It's a nice composition. And then there's the shot of them in the press box while the rain's pouring behind them. Again, a good enough composition for the dramatic purpose, but it's like, it's weirdly cold about it. And it really is a back office movie. Like when it opens on... The A's being eliminated from the playoffs, and you have a uh, a guy who works at the stadium watching it on TV, and you just have all these super distanced and very dark shots of Brad Pitt turning on and off his radio, listening to the game. Uh, the distancing effect is right there, and it is kind of weird, the push and pull between that and the dramatics of the family subplot yeah well that's i mean that's kind of i guess
1: a critique is like the family stuff or even like his own personal flashback it kind of just feels like fodder like it kind of <laughs> it kind of just feels like something to put in like the the few montages here and there like i, I it doesn't really connect Although, to me I at i do all.
2: love spike jones being like how's the team shaping up this year <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that rules <laughs> spike jones as that the, scene is yeah, that yeah, is the hilarious. best scene
1: with that stuff when he's uh he walks in with the stepdad or whatever. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> to his ex-wife's like giant mansion. I'm
2: yeah, saying. and and what I do like about that is you can tell Billy Bean's life is like the game. And yeah, like it's mm-hmm. not as glamorous as low key. It's not as glamorous as his what you can imagine his the new husband of his ex-wife does. Like that dude. Yeah that dude might literally be Spike himself. Like, the way...
3: (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Yeah, meanwhile, Brad Pitt's spitting into a dip cup in his pickup truck. Like, it's opposite (laughs) worlds, yeah. Even though he's a GM, it's opposite worlds.
2: Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Brad Pitt's, like, he's not... You know what I mean? Like, he gets maybe paid, like, what? Like, maybe two mil a year? You know what I mean? Like, what does Cashman (laughs) get paid? He works for the Yankees. Cashman gets paid, like, what? Maybe, like, five mil a year? Like, you know what I mean? Like, this shit is not, like... It, again, portrays baseball as like not as glamorous right like brad mm-hmm. pitt is not yeah it's not that glamorous they do have an airplane instead of a bus but like still like <laughs> jonah hill's like sitting next to david justice on the plane like you know what i mean like the shit is not yeah. like that like <laughs> yeah you know what I mean the ice machine doesn't well, what uh the uh soda machine doesn't work or whatever mm-hmm. oh yeah they that's, had to pay for their sodas they yeah gotta pay that's for that's, their soda. yeah. that's
1: also in due part just because uh it sucks playing for the a's apparently a lot of yeah. uh superstars. I remember when Matt Holliday got traded to the A's and uh, he was so pissed because like it like the <laughs> Oakland A's like you know it's not a glamorous place to begin with but the A's park is notoriously hard for hitters to you know yeah. hit home runs in. And Holliday like at the trade deadline's like trade me I'm not re-signing next year. So it's <laughs> like yeah, a lot of a lot of superstars, you know, when they come to the A's they realize they're not exactly given that red carpet treatment.
3: Yeah, and speaking of those stadiums, it's like the the A's having a hard stadium for hitters. All of those things, like the fact that baseball stadiums have different dimensions is Amazing. so fucked up. That's the only sport where that happens. You know, every, every soccer field, every basketball court, etc., same dimensions. I guess this and golf are the only things where you go to a different place to play and the dimensions are different, which is just ridiculous to think about and also totally counterintuitive if you're trying to make this perfectly concise statistical version of management
2: but i think it's also one of the things that makes baseball so unique it makes baseball so great it's because like it's a game of failure and that adds to the failure of it you know what i mean like it's it's the only sport in which i mean it's a it's a cliche but it's the only sport in which that if you fail seven out of ten times you're literally a hall of famer Derek (laughs) jeter's (laughs) career batting average is like well like 318 i think it is right like, that means that Jeter, more often than not, went back to the dugout after hitting.
3: Yeah, six and a half times out of ten, he got out. <laughs> or way more than six and a half. More like six and 6.8 times out of ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah 6.9 yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, And speaking of Jeter, I love the opening montage here. Or not even the opening montage, but compared to the opening montage of Bull Durham. Here we see standard definition telecast footage of that A's Yankees series. And you have a cut. From Derek Jeter to Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. (laughs) Which is just great. Like, Like, perfect timing and everything. Yeah. Oh my God.
2: Early 2000s Yankees don't get enough credit for being basically just like a a jignoistic, like. Yeah. Like the
3: Bush first pitches and shit. The Yankees were like a pyramid <laughs> scheme
2: around that time. They were like a GOP pyramid scheme around that time. Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> funny that
3: Bush wanted to throw first pitches there instead of like the Washington Nationals when they. Yeah.
2: But the Yankees it's, it's were like America's like, team around that time because of 9/11. Yeah. And it's yeah, also exactly, really yeah. it, it's, it's 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 and it's not as much like that as 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 it is now as now it's not as much like that it was then, but like around that time it was Giuliani and like all, it was so the Yankees were like political around that time. It was weirdly political, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like it was such a. Was, I have a weird relationship with those dynasty teams when I was young, but also too like they're. A, it's a very like white team, like yeah. it's like mm-hmm. a very, not in, not in the like not in like the like identity sense, but just like the like overall political sense. Of those Yankee teams were immensely just like. Patriotic and- they made Johnny Damon cut his hair. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Damon, well, yeah. Johnny Damon has his soul problems. That man has had like five DUIs, bro. That shit is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's got to. You got to keep
3: it clean shaven. You got. Yeah. You don't. You don't got to worry about Straight
4: your long lace. hair. Keep it sober, man. <laughs> and uh,
1: you know, meanwhile, the A's have never had a celebrity fan that I could think of. Maybe. Damn. I think MC Hammer is one of them. <laughs> and uh, E40, ne- not a fan. Uh, no, he's a Giants fan. E40 a Giants fan. No, no too
3: short. Fan. Oh, too short. Okay. Oh, yeah, true, okay. true,
1: true, true. Okay, I haven't seen not him. him at w- I haven't. I don't see him show up to the games. That's the thing. He never <laughs> yeah, makes an true. appearance at the games. Yeah. Short
2: dog has the infamous. Short dog has the infamous A's jacket that he wore in like the '80s when he like first rapping and then he I wore guess. it to the versus
1: battle that he had with E-40. Mm. I mean, the A's, I mean, the late 80s when, you know, he was uh, young, they were good. They didn't win a World Series, so it makes sense.
3: never know. You never know how much people are watching, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but as you said, the scenes between Brad Pitt and Philip Seymour Hoffman are really great there's, there's even shots, just little insert shots of Phil Hoffman in the television broadcasts yeah. uh, that you see people watching where it's just yeah. like him kind of twiddling around or making a That's, move or something. And I don't know. He just carries so much
2: weight. Oh, my God. Hoffman was the greatest actor of his generation. And the reason why For is sure. because he does <laughs> so much with body language, one. And two, mm-hmm. he can be so understated as an actor, even though he was such a like critically acclaimed actor. And 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 he was a movie star. Um, in, in a different type of sense, but he was. Um, he also could be like a supporting role very easily and bring that same type of feeling to a supportive role, like the way he's like on his hips when he, he's um, talking to Billy Bean about uh, the contract that he wants, or how Beans like, "Yo, I want this guy playing," and he's just like, "I can't do that." But well, it's like they 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 have a great adversarial management versus uh, GM mm-hmm. relationship. I, it, Hoffman's great in it. Hoffman's great. Yeah. In it
1: i mean i get i get i guess i could bring my little story here you know i i when i was 11 i i you know i went to the a stadium because they're shooting moneyball you know Ooh. got to got to be an extra well like a crowd extra or whatever because yeah. like they had a bunch of people like in the crowd and my mom you know nice enough to bring me to that because it was like uh, like 10 p.m to like 5 a.m i didn't stay there the whole time but yeah. those scenes where you see philip seymour hoffman kind of like when they're watching him. On T, te- like when Jonah Hill's in his bunker and he's yeah. like watching Philip Seymour Hoffman walk out of the dugout. I swear those are the scenes I saw him they do live. Shooting. That's so oh, crazy. They yeah. yeah. had f-
3: yeah. that many extras for uh, scenes that are then shown on an eight-inch monitor. in no, yeah. in the, in the <laughs> movie, that's pretty. <laughs> and that's how you. It, it was a fucking fifty million dollar budget. Amy Pascal wanted every cent of it back. You know,
1: it was also. I remember this. Like they they wanted us to mimic crowd cheering noises but they didn't they didn't want us to cheer loudly they said they were, like i don't i don't i don't remember why uh, that was that, the process. Is,
3: that sounds very unprofessional yeah come on Bennett. <laughs> uh, to speak of the production i said something about amy pascal uh you know her reign of terror at sony <laughs> uh th- this was actually a soderbergh movie at first uh, soderbergh w- was about to go into production and then did a f- just i guess did one too many rewrites Oh, yeah. Because he wanted to do uh, partially documentary style, too. And, I mean, he he does some talking head stuff in High Flying Bird. But I still wouldn't say that High Flying Bird is like a hybrid documentary type film. It just has those real life inserts. I feel like this movie, he would have really uh, leaned into that. But it would have been so weird because I read another quote where he said it would have been very funny. And, like, would have been funny to the point of not... uh, realizing how much info you're taking in kind of like a pre uh predecessor to adam mckay's kind of prestige style mm. that i'm not a big fan of uh but i i trust soderberg in this era though this was Soderbergh's like hottest era so even if or one of Soderbergh's hottest era, i would say late 90s and then this era are his two hottest kind of and like he could have pulled it off into a great film i think it would have been a totally different film though. yeah
2: totally different it yeah. would have been a totally different film um wow that's interesting so yeah,
3: after after they got Bennett Miller, uh, yeah, Amy Pascal uh, recruited, what's his name, Sorkin.
2: I think it would have been a less somber film than it is. Yeah.
3: Which is weird to say for Soderbergh, who is like so cold notoriously, but you're right. Like it totally would have been more fun. It would have been like yeah. uh, Soderbergh in like Ocean's 12 mode, like pulling mm-hmm. a heist on the scouting and the MLB.
2: Maybe I'm thinking about Sodaverse pop movies, but the about Sodaverse pop movies yeah. the kinetic energy in Sodaverse pop movies are amazing, like out of sight. Yeah. Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12, like those kinetic energy in those movies are, are ridiculous. I'm like, if...
3: Even the B movies, like The Limey. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Or uh, Aaron Brockovich. Or you know what I mean? Like, even yeah. those, like, that, that is, they're very quick. Whereas like Moneyball is not as a it's not a quick movie really to be honest. Yeah. Not really.
3: Moneyball I was I was shocked watching this movie how laxadaisically paced it. it is. It, it is, is like very, yeah. I said low energy about Hoffman in a good way. If
2: Anyone but, but like, Pitt is in this movie it's not good. Like I literally yeah, think that yeah. I think it's one of the greatest performances we'll ever see. Man, Pitt is amazing in this movie. Like yeah, charismatic, so talk- oh, human, likable. Like he's a essentially speaking like he's a general manager who's cutting cost, he's cutting salary, he's cutting players, he's trading players. I mean, the way he trades Pena is so cold, and the way he's like, yo, when you talk to a player and you tell him that he's traded, you have to just be like, quick and cold with it.
3: Which is the opposite of Bull Durham, those cutscenes in Bull Durham. Which is
2: the opposite of Bull Durham, right? But, Pitt is so charismatic and just so human, and like, just brad pitt that he's he's amazing he's incredible in this movie like it, it's it's one of his best performance it, it, this and bashes i think are his two best performances but i think it's money bar really if you just like it, it's really great
3: the only thing he doesn't sell for me is honestly the family angle like i think that that scene is coldly funny with uh the the new husband and stuff but when he has the the scene with his daughter, I think it's like it's not the fault of Pitt either. Like he's great in that scene. It's just the scene doesn't work for me when his daughter is singing him the the twee indie yeah. acoustic oh, song yeah. and it's like it just <laughs> it, that and one other piece of soundtrack just reeked of 2010 like oh, yeah. uh, corporate indie rock kinda and like made me like it just gave me the heebie-jeebies like the the score when it's doing more of a traditional score, I actually think it's quite good and mm-hmm. kind of understated, but then it'll go to this kind of like long drawn out drony guitar post rock score mm-hmm. by uh, this will destroy you. And I I just can't do it and I can't do the acoustic guitar yeah. thing either, but it's like, you know, eh, it's a combined eight minutes of a two hour and change movie. Not a
1: really developed thought I have, but this does feel like a very post social network movie. And of course, yeah. yeah, of course Sorkin, you know, writing it has... A thing to do with it but yeah i think like the sound the soundtrack flares yeah, yeah. like Bean kind of being the you know the the guy who's right despite you know everyone telling him he's wrong you know yeah. what i mean it is and, and he's
3: right because he's smarter and better at his job than everyone yeah is, which exactly is a very sorkin thing yeah.
1: yeah and it's like i i don't even think it's there's some negative aspects that come with it but like it's not even that big of a deal but it's just i don't know that movie had a lot of influence
2: yeah
3: um i i think this is good it's just like, it's so difficult for me. I think mm-hmm. it's more interesting than it is good, but I'm still going to come out positive and give this three because like, I I don't know. It's just, the, there's also an aspect of it that's just early 2000s baseball and yeah. I'm in. Like you throw <laughs> names like Raul Ibanez at me and I'm in. And uh, that, that was a big part of Mr. 3000 was the integration of sports media at the time. And then in this that one, you great. have people like Stuart Scott and you have the voice of Jim Nance at one point. And like the the integration of popular sports media is always interesting to me. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, three big swings of the bat for me.
0: Yeah, I'm going three as well. I mean, I think it's fine. Like. Pitt's performance like really elevates it. There's some points where this style like I think is meaningful like especially with what you're saying about sports media more so like just the moments where Pitt is like watching something like distilled through like as opposed to being there with yeah. the game. I like sort of that cold managerial remove um but yeah it's good N- nothing too crazy.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go three bullets as well. And yeah, that is because I there is like a a visual style to this movie that I kind of mentioned, kind of like highlighting the darker in like kind of like a I don't know moments of like it really will go for like a very contrasty shot of the stadium. And it's I, I I like those moments, but it's almost it's like I don't know maybe I wanted them to push that style a little bit more. I don't know that I don't know if that's the solution or not, but uh. Yeah, it and also as an Ace fan, Moneyball didn't work, man. It didn't fucking work. So I'm a little bit sad about that. As a
3: Dodger <laughs> fan, what we like to call Big Moneyball
1: did work. I will you know, not, not to, you know, not to talk too much about baseball here, but uh, it's a Yeah, I was podcast. gonna say to give like a big market teams like the Yankees and Dodgers credit. I have seen like the Los Angeles Angels for years try to play like big budget ball and just fucking fail hard. So and that um,
2: is because honestly. Yeah. So, like, what's not giving up credit to teams like the Yankees and Dodgers is, yes, the Yankees can afford to spend a bunch of money and eat a bunch of contracts, but we also have Luke Voigt, who came out of nowhere, and that's because the Yankees have the best scouts, like, in, you know what I mean? They have great scouting, they have, they teach hitting, the Yankees teach hitting really, really well, you know what I mean? That whole Savage in a Box thing, it's all about controlling the zone, and, like, they have, every single hitter on the Yankees has a good eye, every single one. And so, they work the counts, they do this and that, and they so... Like, yeah, they have, you know, uh, they have They're a big money franchise, but they also think about things in a very analytical way as well. Whereas, like, you look at the Angels, it's like, if you look at the way the Angels run their organization, like, they kind of run it like it's like a fucking weird-ass shit. Like, they kind of run it. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's very odd. Like, they spend a lot of money on talent, the Angels, but they don't, like, really do anything else. It's like they never yeah. have a guy, besides Trout, obviously, which is, like, everyone knew Trout was going to be good, but, like, they never have a guy who, like... Who, yeah. who, who like comes up and it's like really good and i think the thing about moneyball is moneyball doesn't always understand the movie doesn't really always understand um that you can have both right it isn't an either or thing and i think it kind of uh, as well tries to i think you said earlier Eddie. it tries to look at it in a neoliberal way it tries to look at a problem and instead of of fixing the issue it tries to like do like this pull yourself up by the bootstrap type of thing, and it's like, and I think that it genuinely does, and I think that's not a criticism of it. It genuinely does believe it, like it believes its power. Yes. Yeah. and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and and that's where I think I kind of I'm like, eh, on it. Um, with that being said, this is my favorite pit performance. I think he's great. I think th- this is this did wonders for Jonah Hill's career.
3: I, I like Hill a lot. It's more yeah. understated than something as goofy as Wolf of Wall Street. See, I like Wolf of Wall Street performance a lot. Like, like, as yeah, as exactly. As he, yeah. This just kind of proved that he could be understated dramatically, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. And um, so I'll, I'll give it. No, on my letterboxes, I. I, I... I gave it four out of five in my letterbox. so I'll continue, I'll, I'll do, I'll continue with that here. It's four out of five bullets for me. Um, I think it's a very good picture. I highly recommend it to any sports fan and any people in general, but with a but with an asterisk of they're incorrect about what they say. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm trying to think of what my favorite Brad Pitt performance is. I think it's Ocean's 12, honestly. I was about to say that. Yeah. Ocean's 12 is so like effortless purely effortless purely
2: effortless and 11's about Clooney, and 12's about him kind of and it's like yeah yeah you understand why rusty is rusty and his type of like head-on thinking and it's based off just like yo wait the heat is around the corner i have to jump out a window because it's Just you know what I mean it's like and that's how yeah
3: whether he's like eating disgusting food or flirting with oh the most beautiful women who can take him down as well he can just heat around the corner as you say
2: I
1: I love the small detail of him like trying to run a hotel yeah as as that stressing
3: him out too that's just very funny he's like
2: I want I want the hotel to run as it should, Ruben that's it (laughs) no he's great he's great at 12 yeah he's really good in the 12
3: that is gonna do it for this week's extended clip we went real long so we'll get to emails next week <laughs> next week uh the double feature malcolm you you picked it out why don't you announce it
1: yeah you know what uh i went back to the movies you know what i mean it's something people are doing nowadays and i saw zhang yamu's cliff walkers and i enjoyed it so much i was like let's bring it to the podcast let's bring a new one to the podcast and to match it up I, you know let's get another movie about secret agents let's get joseph von sternberg's dishonored so that's the combo
3: i can't wait uh i mean jt and i already went to the theater and saw the new zangyamu and uh we're glad to say that the movies are back (laughs) 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 because that movie fucking rocked and we can't wait to talk about it jason thank you so much for coming onto the podcast uh what where are people going to find you online what do you want to plug for the people
2: so i have a patreon that i started a patreon for music journalism and a little bit pop culture stuff uh, but mostly music journalism i i reviewed the dj coward album on it today so patreon and my name jason buford j-a-y-s-o-n-b-u-f-o-r-d um just google that or whatever and then subscribe you got I'll tiers, put it in the so. info. Yeah, that oh, that'd be great. Thank you, brother. I've been on I've been in Pitchfork, I've been in Rolling Stone, so just look out for my I freelance and I do a bunch of stuff. So just look out. And you were on Sleezoids,
3: for uh, our sister podcast.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was on Sleezoids. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you can check that episode out. I was on Sleezoids talking about um bamboozled by Spike Lee and Petey Weecha.
3: I think yeah. you were the episode right after me.
2: Yes, yes, yeah. Josh, yes, Josh about that said that because Josh on, said that he yeah. had, he had, he had announced it. and You were like, oh hell yeah! So I was like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, shout out to Josh Lewis for giving us uh, some algorithm-related
3: uh, listens. I oh, my to God. <laughs> so you, you can't imagine. <laughs> That's the real money ball. You, you truly yeah. can't imagine how yeah. many more people have listened to Josh talk to us about the Snyder Cut than, like, the rest of our episode. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: we're playing Moneyball here by signing Josh on for a little two-day yeah, John, contract.
3: Yeah, Josh, he, yeah. he's already got his full-time gig in Canada, so I'm going real low ball on him. Like, <laughs> real <laughs> low ball. Man, oh, they like, say Drake
2: is the king of Toronto, man. It's Josh who's the king of Toronto. Toronto, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Coming back to reclaim
3: the throne all the way out from London. Uh all right, well, we'll see you next week then. Oh, and fucking our Patreon. No shit. Every bonus episode every week. It's two dollars. Patreon.com slash extended clip. Our last bonus episode, I believe, was on Unforgiven by Clint Eastwood.
2: I love first of all, I love Unforgiven, but also I love Eastwood. I don't think this is like one of those things about my oh, god! Though. I mean Eastwood right stand. Guys. Eastwood is the man, bro. Every Eastwood movie oh is god. fire.
3: okay yeah next time you come
2: on it has to be for an east yo next time next time i'll bring million dollar baby and richard Jewell. how about that we'll oh (laughs) hell yes that will be amazing
3: all right um what was i saying oh on wings uh the wings of eagles on wings of eagles that's a different thing the wings of eagles was the last one we talked about the next patreon we just decided the episode's going to be peter greenway's uh droughtsman's contract First Peter Greenaway movie I've ever seen, so it's going to be sick. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's going to be sick. Fucking uh, ep- <laughs> Episode will guaranteed be good, even if the movie's not good. Yeah, we did be
1: <laughs> doing these sports movies. This movie's about an artist. We got we to gotta, we gotta zig and zag,
3: you know? We had to do the link later <laughs> dynamic, the jock and the artist. So yeah. we did our jock. Boys, I got to get, I gotta,
2: I gotta, I gotta get, so I'll talk to you, all right? Oh, all yeah, right. No, sure. we're signing off good. right
3: now. Everybody, goodbye. <laughs> Take care.
2: Sunshine, fresh air. We got the team behind us. So, let's play two.
0: How can you not be romantic about baseball?
3: And he seems a little overwhelmed by my girth and tonnage, right?
1: It's a metaphor. I know it's a metaphor.